In chapter 1, we have the creation of God, and God said it was good. And then man entered the picture and corrupted it through sin to the point where the human population got so corrupted by chapter 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. That's pretty bad. The Lord regretted that he had made man or made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and with all them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then you go on, the rest of chapter 6 through, through chapter 8 is all about the flood, which we've already covered, and, and he judged the wicked and saved Noah and his family. The family comes out of the ark, and they're supposed to repopulate the earth, and, and the Lord gives a, a quick genealogy of Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and we've gone through a lot of that. And, and we talked about Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and how the Holy Spirit really started to focus on the genealogy of Shem. He is the son of Noah. And the Messianic line, in other words, the line of Jesus comes from him, the Jewish people. And in verses uh, uh, 10 through 26, we see the gene genealogy listed there. And I'm not going to hurt your ears by trying to pronounce all those names. But in, in chapter 11, verse 26, it says, After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. The first 11 chapters of Genesis set the stage of the story of redemption. And now we begin to see the story unfold and how it relates to us in our lives as it slowly happens through Abram. And who is Abram? Well, most of us know him as Abraham. And I'll call him by both names. I'll try to keep it straight until the, the Lord changes his name. But that's who I'm talking about if I say Abram or Abraham. It's the same person. He's a very interesting guy. Uh, he's a man who is elevated in three different major world religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He's mentioned 74 times in the New Testament, and he's the only one in the Bible who is ever called the friend of God. That's pretty amazing. Another common title for him is the father of the faithful. When the Bible talks about faith, Almost every time Abraham's name is really, is really near that section when it talks about faith. Now Abraham did not, or Abram did not start, uh, you know, start out with a lot of faith. He gained it as he lived and along the way. He wasn't a great man of faith uh, when God called him. He, he worshipped many different gods at that point. We read the account of of Abram, you know, his calling, and afterward, and we see Abram fell multiple times. And the more he walked with God, the more he started trusting God, and the more he grew in faith. And he ends up being a great man of faith. That is how it happens. If you want to become a more prayerful, prayerful person, and you look at somebody and go, man, I wish I could pray like them, start praying every day. You're going to fail. You're going to repeat over and over the same things, but God will start molding that in you. If you want to be more faithful in your walk, start walking more faithfully each day, and then you can end up like a man of, like Abram and Abraham, one foot in front of the other. 
It's how little kids learn how to walk, right? Does it happen instantly? No. They stumble, they fall, they fell. It's called a walk of faith. Chapter 11 and verse 27, it says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. When his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married, or both married and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and the wife of his son, uh, son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to the go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot with him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out, set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So here we see the, God, you know, the, the call of God on Abraham to leave modern Iraq, that's the area we're talking about, and to go to the land of Canaan, the promised land as we know it. Now, if you just read just that part, it seems like God, call, you know, God came to Abram and said, you need to leave uh, the land of Haran and, and go to the land of Cabron, but, uh, I mean, uh, the land of, of Canaan. But, but if you start to look at the totality of the scriptures and not just take one little part, you start to find out in, in Acts 7 when Stephen was on trial, he begins his defense and and he was in, on trial in front of all the Jewish authorities, so he started with the Jewish history. And he says in Acts 7, he says, Acts 7, verse 2, To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After his death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. Now, Mesopotamia is the land between the Tigris and Euphrates. For those that go back to, like, you know, junior high history, uh, you know, history class or, or geography class and all, the, all that kind of stuff. It's east of Israel, and it's the land of what, what we call the Chaldeans back then, the ancient Babylonians. Ur and Haran were located there. So if you just read the Genesis text, we think God told uh, Abram to leave while he was in Haran. But Stephen shows us that God first talked to Abram when, you know, before he lived in Haran. So what did this great man of faith do? He was supposed to leave his family and go. But he took his father, his possessions, his, his nephew, 
and a whole bunch of his family, the servants and all, all that kind of stuff, and he moved toward Canaan, but not very far. He got to Haran, and he stopped for the next 25 years. Then his father died, and then God talked to him a second time. Now, if you go back to verse 12, I mean chapter 12 of Genesis, and read verse 1 again, it says, The Lord had said to Abram. Did you notice the past tense there? Had said. The Lord is repeating himself 25 years later. The Lord has been waiting for Abram to do what, he, what God has asked him to do, which is go out of your country, get out of it, to a land I will show you. So this great man of faith that we hold up, that we laud, which we should, but we need to understand this great man of faith and obedience did not start out as a great man of faith and obedience. We're all on this journey like Abraham. We're growing up in our faith and our obedience. And boy, do we wish our kids were obedient, don't we? Every parent, I mean, oh man, Grayson today, Grayson, you need to get in the bathtub. No bath. No, no bath. I don't want bath. I, I get it now. You've said it three times. You know, we wish they were obedient. And that's how we are with the Lord. Along the way, we're going to blow it and we're going to fail. Does this mean that God gives up on us? No. Does this mean that God stops loving us? <laughs> no. If we stop short of obeying God and camp in Haran, God is patient and he waits for us. But listen to this. Time wasted means blessings lost. He won't take the calling off your life. In fact, in Romans 11 that we've already covered, it basically says your callings and your gifts are irrevocable. We just have the responsibility to use them for God's purpose. I understand that sometimes God calls us and he, you know, and he waits for us to grow into something, okay? You know, uh, I can tell you, I've had several different people would, you know, throughout my life, and says, Alan, you know, God is really calling you this direction. I just let him get, no, no, no. I'm a youth pastor. That's, uh, that's good. And senior pastor, no, no, no. You're going to be doing the, no, 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 no. I'm a youth pastor. That, that, that's good. Sometimes we grow into our calling. I mean, he anointed David king 10 years before he actually became king. But this wasn't the case with Abram. God called him to do something, and he only partially obeyed. He didn't go all the way. 25 years is a long time, but God was patient. Many great men and women have stopped in Haran in their path, in their journey. And have stopped short of complete obedience. And they are good people of faith. But the great people of faith will move toward what God has called them to do. If God has called you to do something, don't give up. Maybe you've stopped on that journey. Maybe you've kind of stopped off in Haran or you got halfway there or you're really not sure or whatever. But if you feel the Lord, has got, you know, the Lord your God has called you to something, then you need to pursue it. You need to get serious, and you need to go forward. If God has prepared you, then he will use you. You want to be used by God, say, God, what do you have for me? And God, usually it's listed in some type of obedience. God wants to see some obedience out of you. I was talking to my brother about his son, and 
his son really wants to drive the Ford F-150. And my brother's like, man, the turning the wheelbase, you know, and all that's a little longer, it's a little harder to drive, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but, but really what it boiled down to, my brother was kind of like, he hasn't really been doing the things I've asked him to do. That's why he's holding back that vehicle. He's driving the little clunker car, okay? He's 17. Just, you know, got his driver's license. It's all gun-ho. But he's looking to see for obedience. And once obedience happens, then other things fall into place. And that's what God is looking for us to do, is to be obedient. But if we stay in Haran, you won't be used the same way. Or if you stumble and fall and you decide, well, I'm just going to stay right here. God is not going to use you in the way that he wants to. It's important to know that God couldn't deal with Abraham until his father died. Okay, I'm not saying that your father needs to die for God. You know, I'm not saying that. But I'm, I, I got a question for you. What does have to die in your life, in a sense, for you to move forward? Maybe it's the wrong type of goal. Or maybe it's a desire that you have. And, and God's like, that's not the desire I have for you. And I need that desire to die before I can use you. Maybe it's a relationship. The devil brings things into our life to distract us and to keep us from moving forward. If a person is serious about God, Satan will use everything to distract you from that seriousness. If you're single, bring, you know, God will bring somebody in that might drag you down or go the wrong way. Uh, you know, if you're married, you know, a relationship that maybe stresses or, or whatever, Satan is going to use things to keep you from doing the things that God wants. Or maybe it's a job, maybe it's the other way around because, you know, we think of terrible things that, you know, Satan is terrible things and great things come from God. But maybe Satan decides, I'm going to give this person a lot of money. You see what I'm saying? And we think the blessing comes from God, but it could be the money getting in the way of doing the things for God. It can go both ways. So what is possibly keeping you from your relationship with the Lord? One more thing before we move on. In Hebrews 11, we talked about people who had great faith. And it says in verse 8, 11, 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. You know, it's very interesting. After we kind of looked at the history a little bit, the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham was called, he obeyed, and he went. In fact, the Greek, the way you go back and really research it, it basically says, while the Lord was speaking, Abraham started to go immediately. But it's not what really happened. So how do we reconcile this? Simple. God chose not to focus on the negative. And we need to understand this. This can be very impactful for us in our lives. If you study Hebrew 11, and, and you, you know, we, as we've gone through it and talked about it, and all these people of faith are, are held up before the Lord, and then you go back to the Old Testament, and you study their lives, and you realize, wait, wait, wait a second. What happened here? I mean, they were a mess in, this, in a historical sense. So why the difference? God chose not to look at the mess, and he focused on what they did well. God doesn't talk about how Abraham stumbled, you know, majorly a couple of times in his life by bringing Lot along when he shouldn't have. It caused trouble later. 
God doesn't mention how he went to Egypt when God, didn't, God told him to stay in the promised land. And he went to Egypt to, to escape a famine. And then he told his wife because he was afraid they were going to kill him and take his wife, just, just tell him you're my sister. That, it'll work out much better because that always works out well, doesn't it? If you're married, I mean, your wife wants to hear that, right? God promised him a son. God didn't move quick enough. So what does he do? Goes out and finds another woman. Oh, that worked out well, didn't it? We're still paying for that one today. God mentions none of that in Hebrews 11. None of it. God talks about the things that Abraham did that please the Lord. God is choosing the focus on the godly things. We should understand God sees us for the great things, not the things that we've messed up on. My son Grayson is three. His personality is, is really coming out. Sometimes he can be very ornery. I mean, he won't listen at all. He won't eat what we ask him to eat. He refuses the things that we want him to do sometimes. Okay, really all the time. But I'm just saying, he's three. I don't look at him and say, well, I don't love you because you won't listen to me. No, I teach, I guide, I discipline sometimes. I love him. My kids are going to fall. My kids are going to fail. But by the time they mature, hopefully they will learn how to do certain things well. Because in the process, it's going to be difficult from time to time. And that's okay. And it's the same as our relationship with God. The blood of Christ, when we become Christians, when we become followers of Jesus, it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So now, from that point forward, what God is focused on? He focuses on when we obey him. This ought to be an encouragement to us. Faith does not mean perfect. I mean, raise your hand if you're perfect. <laughs> yeah, none of us are. It doesn't mean perfect. God chooses to understand and look at our lives and look at us differently and to focus on the life of our faith. This should be an encouragement for us. Genesis 12:1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is a very important foundational um, passage here for us. There are several parts to it. The first part is that God would make Abraham or Abram into a great name. He would be a father of a great nation. Secondly, he would bless anyone uh, who blessed the Jewish nation. And thirdly, he would curse anyone who cursed the Jewish family. And fourthly, and that through Abraham, all the peoples of the world, of the whole earth, would be blessed. Now, later on, we see the covenant of the, you know, included the land of Canaan. We'll talk about that later. But verse 4, it goes on. It says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out 
for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And we, if you're a you know, Bible writer, start circling writing or whatever. How many times when Abram went somewhere, he built an altar to the Lord, stating, this is what I truly believe in right here. He builds an altar to the Lord. That's what we ought to be doing in our lives, building altars to the Lord. We can do that through kids. We can do that through many different things. But it's a statement to say, this is who I am. I am not like the world. We'll talk about the Abraham covenant in the land later, but for right now, let's focus on the other parts. The first one, God would make Abraham a great name. Abraham is honored, as we talked about earlier, by Jews, Christians, and Muslims. The Jews, because he's the father of Jewish people through, through uh, his son Isaac. Christians, because he is the ancestor of our Savior, our, our, you know, Jesus. And Muslims, because he's the father of Ishmael. Uh, the Arab uh, people where Islam began. Uh, so his name literally is great over all the earth because of this. Secondly, he would be a father of a great nation. Now, our first thought is the father of Israel. But Israel was hardly a great nation back then and is, I want to say, barely a great nation now in the sense of the world, what we consider a great nation, okay? Um, you could argue that it became great under David and Solomon and a little bit now, but I don't think that's what the Lord had in mind when he talked about this. The word great in Hebrew is associated with numbers. Israel is small. They're like an insignificant number. I mean, there's like 22 million uh, uh, Arabs over there, and I don't know how many Jews. I mean, you see what I'm saying? I mean, the, the Jewish nation is so small, it's in, insignificant. Even God said, I chose you because you were small. Israel's made a huge impact, uh, or, or really hasn't made a huge impact on the world other than the whole fight, I, I would say, between Satan and God, not necessarily the Israel people. So what is God saying here? Well, in Romans 4, we have to kind of think uh, outside of Israel. Abraham is the father of Israel. But in Romans 4, Paul starts talking about a bigger family, the family of God. It started with Abraham. And no one gets into the family through the law, following the law of, of Moses and so forth. It, it had to be through a faith like Abraham. And in Romans 4, 13, it says... It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the laws are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. In other words, the law is there to show you where you break the law. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. So that there may be grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, in other words, Jews, but also those who live by the faith of Abraham, in other words, Gentiles who come to Christ. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. 
Notice he's being called the father of many nations, the father of those who believe. Paul makes the same point in Romans 2. It's not about, you know, being a relative of Abraham. The Jews thought that they were God's people just because of the blood that ran through their veins. But they also had to have faith. He's not just the father of Jews, but he's the father of those who believe. And the question is, do you believe? If you believe, you're a descendant of Abraham. You have faith like Abraham. You are in the family of God. You're part of a nation, one huge, great nation. And this is what Tulare United is all about. We're one big family. We may worship a little differently, but our foundation is Jesus Christ, and that's what's important. In 1 Peter 2, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Did you know you were a priest? I don't know if that's good or bad nowadays. But we're all part of the royal priesthood, a holy nation. Our idea of nation needs to expand. Paul talked about this in Romans. Abraham is a, is a father, a huge nation, a nation of God. And it goes on in 1 Peter 2, uh, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not his people, but now you are the people of God. Once you received no mercy, or once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The church today is spread out all, all over the world, and it's, it's, it's amazing to go to another part of the world and listen to them worship the same God in a different language. Maybe even sing some of the same songs where you recognize the tune, but the words are in their language, and it's a phenomenal thing. The church has made a huge impact on this world. We're the light in the midst of the darkness. The light of God's truth has been shown around the world and continues to be. Thirdly, it says that he would bless anyone who blessed the Jewish nation, and the fourth one, they'd go together, he would curse anyone who cursed the Jewish family. Now, we talked a little bit about this in the, in the past, and, and it has shown that, uh, that to, to be true in the way it works, any person or nation that has cursed Israel has been per, cursed by God. We see this in you know, Egypt that enslaved Israel for 400 years. They were the world's superpower. God's people cried out. God responded. God gave them Moses. He led the people out, and they went from, Egypt went from being a superpower to what are they today? In all sense, they are a third world country. Now, I have a lot of Egyptian friends. They would bicker with me. They would argue with me. But in many ways, they're a very backward country now. Went from a superpower to a backward country. Later on, the same thing happened to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Both of them were world powers. Both of them oppressed the Jewish people. Both of them were judged and literally reduced to a third world status. Great Britain... The sun was, you know, it said the sun would never set on the British Empire. They used to say that. No more. The sun sets on the British Empire every day. It very easily happens now. They started out great endorsing the, uh, you know, homeland for the Jewish people. In fact, they made a pact after World War I that they were going to give Israel land and support them. Then in, my, then in May 1939, they recanted of that, saying it should be limited to 75,000 Jews only, and it should be stopped by 1944, unless the Arab people wanted more Jews to come in. <laughs> yeah, like that would ever happen. 
So Britain, which had all the power in the world at, the, at that time, could have done this, but they chose to go against that. And now we see the British Empire slowly going into nothingness. They're basically insignificant at this point. Of course, we know what happened to Germany after World War I and World War II. But let's talk about America in a second. After World War II, America became what? The premier superpower. The only thing that happened after World War II is we started supporting Israel. We became the greatest supporter of them. And we helped out and we kept promising and, and, and prospering and growing stronger. Now, you might say there's a lot of other reasons in that, but I believe that God is in control of this world. And when people bless Israel, he blesses them. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Over the years, our support for Israel has slowly declined. And I believe that God's not happy about that. And he's kind of let us know. Do you believe that God is in control of this world? Do you believe that God is in control of this world to the point of he's in control of like storms and all, you know, and all those type of things? Yeah. If we say that, then here's some facts. Well, Joel 3, 2, it says, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel. Because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up the land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine to drink. This is really talking about the whole land for peace stuff. <laughs> Did you know that our governments are, are you know, pushing this whole, Israel, if you'll give up some land, the Arabs will be at peace with you? Do you think that's going to work? No. You go and study what their words are saying, they just want to push Israel off into the sea. They want to wipe them off this earth. God gave the land to Israel. Now, some say they forfeited it when they rejected Messiah, but we do not see this anywhere in scriptures. In chapter 15, we'll see no such thing as possible. <clears throat> we're trying to take away the land that God gave to the Israelites just to keep earthly peace. A peace that the Arabs don't want. They say they do, but they don't. Their actions show that. And God has responded in kind. Now, here are some legitimate facts. You can go study them yourself. October, 30, uh, October 30th, 1991, George H.W. Bush Start, you know, started a conference in Madrid. It's called the Madrid, Madrid Conference, and it was a whole land for peace agenda. At the same time, a storm developed in the North Atlanta, creating the largest waves ever recorded in the region. The storm traveled over a thousand miles east to west, which was opposite of normal, and crashes into the New England coast right at Kennebunkport, right where Bush had property. Okay? I'm not making that up, okay? August 23rd, 1992, Hurricane Andrew. When the Madrid conference resumes in Washington, D.C., Andrew is the worst national disaster ever to hit America. 30 billion in damage and 180,000 homeless in Florida. June 16th, 1994, Northridge earthquake. President Bill Clinton meets with Syria's presidents in Geneva to talk about the peace agreement with Israel about giving up the Golan Heights. 
Now, the Golan Heights, if you don't understand, they're right on Syria border, and I've actually been there. I should have pulled up some pictures. I didn't have time, but, but literally, it looks down upon the land of Syria. Well, at the, before Israel got that land, I think it was the 67 or 73 war. I forgot which one, but the Syrians used to have that, and they would take little snipers would be up on these hills shooting down at the Israelites as they're traveling. So Israel literally built a whole bunch of, or built, they grew a whole bunch of eucalyptus trees right along the road, you know, those big tall trees, so Israelites could travel and not be like picked off so easily. So there's this whole road that just goes for miles and miles with these trees all because of that. Then Israel finally got the Golan Heights, and they're wanting to give it back. Uh, and they used to do all sorts of things, bomb Israel from up there. That place literally is a, a, you could go and you could just hang out up there now. And you could see the fortifications of both sides that were up on top. Now there's soldiers in those fortifications because of what's going on in Syria. So Israel is up there now, okay? But, uh, you know, but within 24 hours of the meeting about giving the Golan Heights back, 6.9 uh, earthquake rocks Southern California. Second biggest natural disaster behind Hurricane Andrew. September 28, 1998, Hurricane George. Secretary of State Albright working on a deal where Israel would give up 13% of their land in Judah and Samaria. Hurricane George slams into the U.S. Gulf Coast, gusts of 175 power winds and hits the land and just stalls right there. <clears throat> that same day, Clinton meets with Yasser Arafat and Netanyahu at the White House to finalize this peace deal. But later, Arafat uh, addresses the UN about declaring an independent Palestinian state. But by May of 1999, Hurricane George is battering the coast and at the exact same time as Arafat leaves the U.S., the hurricane immediately starts to dissipate. You're talking about God is in control. It's, it's interesting. October 15th to the 22nd, 1998, huge flood in Texas. Arafat met at the Y River Plantation in Maryland. Talks are scheduled to go on for five days, focused on Israel giving up land for peace. They were supposed to conclude on the 20th. During all that, the rains and floods hit Texas. San Antonio was covered in floods, and floods stopped as soon as the talks were over. And 25% of Texas was flooded and $1 billion in damage. November 30th, 1998, Arafat comes to the U.S. to meet with Clinton to raise money for the new Palestinian state and with Jerusalem as its capital. 42 other nations were represented in Washington, and all the nations were ready to give Arafat $3 billion in aid for this to happen. Clinton was ready to give $400 million. The European nations, $1.7 billion. The same day, the Dow drops, and European markets had its worst day in history. May 3, 1999, super tornado is the day Yasser Arafat is scheduled to declare Palestinian state the most powerful Midwestern storm across Oklahoma and Kansas that had ever hit. The winds were clocked at 313 miles per hour. Uh, I was driving back with Lisa at that point, I think, or uh, through Oklahoma at that time. And the declaration was postponed to December because of all these tornadoes that were going on. 
The week of October 11th, 1999, hurricane, earthquake, and Dow collapse. <laughs> Jewish settlers in 15 different locations are evicted from the Jewish covenant land. They were forced out of their land to make peace with the Palestinians. The Dow loses 5.7% in one day. A hurricane slams into North Carolina, and a magnitude 7.1 earthquake rocks the southwest in the California desert. Now, August 2005, Hurricane Katrina. America had just finished encouraging what was called the Gaza evacuation, where, where uh, Israelites were in the Gaza Strip, and they were kind of in control of everything, the Israel army, and they were pulling out of that when Israel, they evacuated from the Gaza Strip, which leaves Israel open to daily attacks from Gaza, and it caused several Jewish communities to be evacuated. In fact, our guide in Israel, he lived down in Sadat, or Sarat, I mean, and it's right there, and he refuses to leave even though they get bombed uh, almost on a daily basis, rockets coming over for, for a long time. And America was encouraging Sharon, the, the leader of Israel, to make this happen. In January 2006, Sharon suffers a, a stroke and stays in a coma for eight years and dies in 2014. Now, I believe that the Lord is in control of this world. This includes nations and how he takes one nation and what he does with it to punish another nation or, or to push another nation out or whatever. I think it includes the weather. I think God uses people and storms and earthquakes and everything else to do his bidding because God has kept his promise, the covenant, the unconditional promise, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. God keeps his word. America has benefited from supporting Israel, and America will suffer when it doesn't support Israel. See, everything comes back to God. Everything can be taken away by God, and America and other countries have to be careful because we have to be careful. We have to start following the Lord, and it's not dependent on one man in the White House. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, it's not dependent on that. America, you and I have to follow the Lord. We have to. I think the Lord uses this stuff as a warning for us to say we need to stay on track with the Lord. So how do we relate this back to our lives? Well, three things. First off, when the Lord calls you, we should do what he says. Don't waste our time. Don't spend 25 years in Iran. Don't spend 10 years or 5 years or whatever doing something the Lord has not called you to do. If he's called you to do something and you know it's been confirmed, then you need to get doing it. Secondly, we need to support Israel, God's people. We've talked about how we're grafted into God's people. God has not given up on his people, the Jews, and we shouldn't either. Thirdly, God is in control of this world, even when we don't think he is. God will use many different things in many different ways to bless or punish those in this world. And we should remember that God is sovereign. He is in control. Even when it seems like the world is out of control, he is in control. It's going to get worse. We read that in Revelations. Just open up your Bible. We understand that. So let's gear up for it in a sense. But ult ultimately remember one thing. God is in control.
control. Big stuff, little stuff. God wants to bless us. How do we get blessings? Well, we walk like Abraham. How did Abraham walk? Well, sometimes not so good and sometimes really good. But God focuses on the good. When we follow the Lord, when we're righteous in our actions and our attitudes, God will bless us. And I guess that ring means my time is over. So why don't you stand and uh, Joshua and the worship team will come up and we'll pray. Lord, you are, you are a sovereign God that is in control of everything. You control the nations, you control the cities, you control the people. You allow us to make mistakes, you allow us to go away from you. But ultimately, your will is, is done always. I pray that you, uh, that you put on our heart a, a stamp of faith that we will follow you on a daily basis. That when we follow you, that we see great blessings in our life. And then when we walk away from you, that you would gently discipline us to bring us back to your fold, to bring us back into your direction, onto your path. You have great patience, Lord, and, and we thank you for that patience. We ask for forgiveness of those sins that we know about, and we ask for forgiveness of the sins that we don't know about. We are your people, Lord, and we pray that we can walk by faith. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you be his righteous light in this world. And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.